Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. Well, this is a continuing series uh, that I've been doing on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and if you want to hear some of the other parts, I've just covered the Beatitudes. Um, you can download them on the Aspen Chapel podcast from Apple or Google Play or check out our YouTube channel. In the Beatitudes, uh, Jesus shows us the journey of the living soul within the nature of Christ. And, and having established what that journey is in our lives, he then goes on in the salt and light passage that we spoke about last week to stress the importance of making the most of the realizations that we gain from his teachings. Then he goes on to talk about law, that which orders our lives. He goes from talking about what the journey is, saying you've really got to make the most of that. And then he's looking at the lie of the land. He's looking at the nature of law that we exist within. And he says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For I tell you the truth, that unless heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not this not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So pretty high bar there. And then he goes on to talk about murder, reconciling with those who are around you, adultery. And in this passage, we've also got those famous lines, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better to lose one part of your body than for your whole part to be thrown into hell. He speaks about laws around divorce, and swearing. And, you know, really, they're pretty difficult passages, all of them. But all of the, you know, we can all agree on murder. There's still gray areas within it. When he comes to the, the whole area of divorce, he says there is an exception, except for uh, marital unfaithfulness. Other than that, anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So, you know, it's a difficult series of bits. But when you, when you look at the whole thing all together, for me, the key passage, the key words in this are when he says, until heaven and earth disappear, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus is really giving a commentary on the Ten Commandments here. Almost as if he was speaking to the scribes and Pharisees who were pretty doubtful about Jesus. They're always looking out for ways to condemn him. And here Jesus is saying that he's not come to sweep away any of the laws that the Jewish religion is held on to. More than that, he's saying he's coming to fulfill the law. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. But un unless heaven and earth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter or the stroke of the pen will by any means disappear 
until everything is accomplished. So what does that mean? He says, so when heaven and earth disappear, when does heaven and earth disappear? Well, in my perspective, heaven and earth disappears when there is no distinction between the two, when there is a realization that there is one reality. He's alluding here to the second coming, but he's also alluding to that state of consciousness that sees no dichotomy between heaven and earth. You know, it's interesting to note that when Jesus dies, the Bible says that the veil of the temple was rent in twain. Now, the veil or the curtain of the temple always represented the demarcation line between that which was sacred, which was that which was inside the temple, and that which was profane, uh, that which was outside the temple. And profane, that word, comes from the two Latin words, pro, which means before, and farnum, which means temple. So profanum is really outside the temple. So that which was sacred was inside the temple, and that which was profanum, profane, was outside the temple. And the veil, the curtain being rent in twain, being torn down, represents the abolition of the differentiation between that which was sacred and that which was not. Jesus was really, his life was saying that everything is actually sacred. Um, There's nothing that was not. Richard Rohr's book, Everything Belongs, speaks about this whole idea. So Jesus's life was really to abolish the idea that there was a differentiation between that which was sacred and that which was profane. It was all one, non-dual, not two. And heaven, in his perspective, was really this world truly seen, clearly seen. So in these passages that we're dealing with about the law, Jesus is really reiterating the rabbinical law of Moses and saying that he's not here to sweep it away, but rather He's looking at it from a different perspective, a perspective that not only includes all of Jewish law, but also includes this bigger perspective, one that makes no differentiation between heaven and earth, between that which is sacred and that which is profane. Just how different uh, that perspective is, uh, you can see in the next passage that we get to, we'll talk about that next week, when Jesus talks about you know, an eye for an eye um, and loving your enemies. And he really transforms the whole understanding of that Jewish rabbinical law within those passages. Suffice to say that he takes a very different perspective from the the law of Moses. He's saying to the chief priests, I understand your law and I've not come to sweep it away. I've come to include it within a bigger context. And he makes clear the size of that context when, he's, when he talks about the law, he says about murder that it's not just that murder's against the law, but everyone who even thinks about being angry about his brother. It's not just about adultery, it's anyone who lusts in any way. So once again here, Jesus is not going just for the outer life, you know, saying that's important. He's also saying that the whole inner life is important too. 
in the other passage in the Bible, he calls the scribes and Pharisees whited sepulchres. Uh, sepulchres were tombs. And he was saying they were clean on the outside. They painted their tombs white. But inside, there was nothing but rottenness like the tombs. Um, he uses this phrase in, in the Bible, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that really applies here because he's talking in two ways. He's talking about the law to the scribes and Pharisees. He's saying, I'm not coming to it. But he's then taking a much bigger context. He's listing all the laws that are important to the priests, to those who can hear. He's saying there's a deeper law, one that involves the inner life. And it's much more important here. You know, think of that inner life. I've always, uh, a deeper law. I've always liked the idea that miracles arise out of aspects of natural law that we don't yet understand. Just as people in Jesus's day would see electricity as a miracle, so we see many of Jesus's actions as miracles, when in fact, if we could but understand, they might fall within laws that we've not yet had a concept of. Jesus, Jesus later says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your wisdom is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great are the darkness. And to focus on that exterior law, but not in the interior side of it, is to have bad eyes where the light within you is darkness. So he's asking us to look beyond man's invention of law to a deeper law. And I think it's like one of those magic eye posters where you, you look at it to begin with, it's all just a series of dots. But if you focus differently, then a whole 3D picture appears. Jesus is pointing out the rabbinical law here and saying, well, that's all well and good, but look deeper. And if you find, if you look deeper, you'll find that 3D image and all the laws will be still there, but there'll be a 3D image, which is the deeper insight. The 3D image in those magic eye posters doesn't get rid of any of the dots. It keeps all of them. And yet you see a bigger picture. I tell you the truth, Jesus says in this passage, until heaven and earth disappear, that's going into the 3D thing. I think the King James Bible says it, it, it best. He says, not one jot or tittle will pass from the law till all is fulfilled. And those jots and tittles are like the dots in the magic eye posters. So although there are always lots of arguments about what Jesus meant about divorce, adultery, murder and the like, I think the key meaning of this idea is tied up with the phrase about heaven and earth passing away. We have to see that bigger picture that includes everything. And once we move to the point where the veil of the temple is rent in twain, we get a picture of non-dual consciousness, of what it really means. We see the equality of all particularity in consciousness, the equality of all particularity in consciousness. And we recognize the divinity of all. And this supersedes the law of Moses that was suggesting that as we become part 
of the, the new consciousness. It includes all the previous conceptualizations of the law. Now, the word law means that which is laid or fixed down. And the word itself comes from the root meaning. It's the same root meaning as the word to lie, to lie down. So law is that which is laid down. We see law in what parents lay down for their children. We see civil law that neighborhoods lay down. We see national law in what governments lay down. We see religious law, like the rabbinical law, which is laid down as a part of religions. We see international law in what the world's conscience wants to lay down, like the Geneva Convention and the Convention on Human Rights. What Jesus is talking about is that which is laid down as the foundation of all consciousness, a deeper law, the sort of law that God was talking about in the Bible when he said to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched a measuring line across it? He's really saying to Job that he that Job doesn't know the nature of that type of law. So we should stop complaining. He doesn't know what's at the deepest level. What this means is that our concepts of law and order are relative to our perspectives on life. Our concepts of law and order are relative to our perspectives on life. Is law and order simply the subjugation of the masses so that the privileged can have their privilege in an ordered peace. Is it that? Is it, you know, that we can have a peaceful life, masses subdued so that everybody else can, can live peacefully? Or is law and order there so that everybody can live in peace? Or are we looking for law and order that was set down at the foundations of the earth, that only those who have ears to hear and eyes to see can have any concept of. What level of law and what level of order are we talking about? The concept of law and order is therefore relative to the perspective that we have on law and on order. It's not finite. The scribes and Pharisees saw it in terms of what was written in the Bible. But Jesus was saying that you have to look deeper. You have to go to the point where heaven and earth pass away and you're left with the true nature of reality. We can see the way that law and order has changed as we look at society. 200 years ago, it was against the law for a slave to run away. Now, slavery is against the law. Our concepts of law and order are relative to our perspective, which is why there are 27 amendments to our constitution. The constitution is that which is laid down. And as our perspective has grown, so we've made 27 amendments. And that growth in perspective continues. What is considered the basis of law and order today might be very different to that which is considered the basis 
for law and order tomorrow. And Jesus is saying that the biggest perspective of all is the perspective of when heaven and earth pass away, when reality is seen for what it really is. Until we get that point, we're always seeing through a glass darkly. We have a partial view and therefore our law is only partially sound. It is of limited use based upon our limited perception of the nature of reality, our limited perspective of the nature of reality. Because as Job says to God later on, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Our law is all that we have, but it's not all that there is. It's a movable feast. As our consciousness changes, so our understanding changes. And our, as our understanding changes, so our conceptualization of the nature of what law is relevant and what law is not. So we get laws around civil rights, around sex and gender, around our climate, around our awareness as our awareness of the nature of order changes, so our laws change. Because I think it's out of our conceptualization of order that our understanding of law changes. What we perceive as being order makes our laws. We make our laws in respect to what we perceive as order. If our concept of order is the subjugation of the masses so that the privileged can have their privilege in peace, then you're going to get one set of laws. If your conception of order is that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that are among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, then you're going to get another sort of law. And if your concept of order is that heaven is this world clearly seen and that there is an equality of particularity in consciousness, then you'll recognize another set of laws. Law is therefore a product of our concept of the nature of order. What we see as order, we make laws for, and our laws betray our perspective of the nature of order. He who has ears to hear let him hear. So in these passages, Jesus is challenging our perspectives of both law and order. He's setting out the law of the Pharisees, and then he's putting alongside it the order painted by the picture of when heaven and earth have passed away. The order of non-dual consciousness expressed by the universal mind that is the ground of our very being. We also have to take on board the shifting natures of our conceptualization of law in our own lives. What do we see as the basis for order? How do we view laws that do not conform to that understanding? What can we do to change things so that laws do bring about the order that we see at the center of all things? We have to look at our families. And that's particularly important with those like us who have teenage children 
And we have to look at our community law. We have to look at our corporate law, laws around health, our state law, our national law, our international law. What do we see as being true order for our families? What is true order for our communities, for our health system, our corporations, our states, our nations, and our world? What is the true nature of order? And it's only when we see into the depths of the order that's available to us that we can begin to appreciate the true worth of the laws that pertain to that order. Thank you. So any, any thoughts about uh, what I just said? Any, anything from you? I mean, one word that, that loomed large for me in that talk was the word perspective. Yeah. And it's interesting that our perspective is, is always limited and always changing and always partial and um, relative kind of thing. So, um, and then it also made me think of Richard Raw's teaching on the whole, his teaching on uh, you start with order and then disorder and then reorder. And, and that's, such a, that's a really helpful teaching that just completely resonated with what you said around uh, on, a, on an individual level, on, a, on, a, on every level, national, planetary level, that pattern of transformation seems to be the way it works, that, that we start off with, a, with an order maybe a, as you're always talking about an idealized fabricated reality or an order that works for a time. Yeah. And then it has to give way to disorder as things evolve. And then out of that dis- disorder becomes a new reorder. And so, and so things evolve. And it gives me so much hope that in the midst of this disorder that we're in at the moment is seeds of hope. Like the or- reorder will come out of the disorder. So it's interesting you say that and pick up on Richard Raw's things. That's how I, I think the whole shift in consciousness occurs, going from one stage to another. If you're going from rational conscious to visionary conscious, the way, or whatever level you go from, you first of all have an inner, re- you, you, inner realization about what you're doing, that it may not be appropriate the way you're doing in terms of, say, mythical consciousness. And that inner, inner realization leads to a period of reflection, which then leads to a change in behavior or a change in consciousness as you move to that next level of conscious, conscious. And I think, you know, as we see, you can see it the right the way through societies. You know, if Rome society was very different. And the laws in Roman laws were very different. And we, and we tend to think that the laws that we've got in our society are the be law, you know, we are the most civilized. But really, you know, we're only legislating for our own sense of what order, you know, should be in our own minds. Those people who are in charge are the people that decide what order is. And therefore, we put the laws in charge based upon their conceptualization of order. So as our understanding of order changes, it means that law will change. I mean, how can law be fixed? It has yeah. to keep changing as things change. And it's just so difficult to, to like, how to remain open and move with the times, you know. And, um, but there's just so much hope within disorder. That's what yeah. I was feeling. And the other, one other thing was just, I, I was so struck in the way that you talked about Jesus' teaching there, about how he was always enlarging the vision, you yeah. know, who took the, the sort of pinchedness of the law and made it something so expansive and, and hopeful and always, you know, always a bigger, you put it within a bigger context. I think there's a difference between what, what we make up as law, you know, we, we think up in our heads, you know, as, as being law, 
and fundamental natural law. For example, the law of gravity. You're not going to argue with that. Every time you jump off a building, the law of gravity tells you that this is, is a fundamental law. And I think that our, our, our process in life is about discovering those natural laws. And Jesus is pointing out those natural laws, and particularly in the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to go on next week, the idea of love your enemies and things. He's trying to show that there are some natural laws that exist, that if we got in line with those natural laws, our lives would be incredibly you know, more, more hopeful, more peaceful, more satisfied. That, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because having just said that, how can law be fixed? Um, yeah, I mean, some, some law, law is law when it comes to something yeah, physics. In, in physics, yeah. you've got the, the laws of physics. And I, I, I'm suggesting what Jesus is saying here is there are some natural laws in, in terms of our behaviour, natural laws that naturally produce goodness. And we're discovering them. We're trying our best, you know, the way we put things together tries our best to emulate those, those laws. Um, but as, we, as our consciousness evolves, we begin to discover what those natural laws are. Yeah, it strikes me that Jesus is always, his teaching is always not to tease us and frustrate us, but yeah. to, to literally lay out what works best, yeah. you know, how What work. works best, I like that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.